Pastor Dan has already referenced, next week uh, we leave and then the team comes a week on Monday to Nicaragua for our 27th crusade in Central and Latin America. So uh, we're very excited about that. There are three things that you can be praying about as we uh, begin to move into this week. Number one, obviously there are several days in which we're involved heavily in compassion work. A large part of that is just taking food, tons and tons and tons of food that have been purchased, and we take them into neighborhoods, we take them into schools, we take them uh, into places that uh, you, you would have a hard time getting your mind around that people actually live there. We, we've gone into trash dumps, we've been down by river sides, and so we're going to be feeding a lot of people, but really for us, the, the food is just um, a part of it. It's a free gift, it doesn't matter um, what they say, what they do, we want them to have it because we know that there's a, an actual practical need there. But really, it opens up the door for us to share about another gift, and that's the gift of salvation, something that's going to satisfy not just uh, for a few days or weeks, but something that lasts forever. So if you would be praying for the Compassion Team, there's a, 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 a youth team that Pastor Shaler is going to be bringing. They're going to be heavily involved in that during the week. So be praying for our young people. Be praying for the veterans, that God will give them open doors into the hearts and lives of children, families, people who are hungry, people who are hurting, um, there are so many stories, and you've, you've heard me share lots of them, but just, that's one place that you can be praying for us in the, the next couple of weeks. You can also be praying for the evening services that take place. As you know, we work really, really hard uh, to connect with as many pastors across denominational lines as we can. This is a smaller area, and we're really, really excited about kind of getting off the grid a little bit and going into a, a small area, but the pastors there are hungry, and their people are hungry. And so it's a really incredible thing when they open up their pulpits and we're able to send people into those pulpits every single night to be preaching the gospel. Those nights are very, very important. You heard me share a story two years ago from Nicaragua when there was a girl who had written her suicide note and left it on the table and left. And on her way to take her own life, she saw a light and heard some music coming from a building. It happened to be one of those evening church services. And don't tell me that it wasn't coincidence that all the prayer that had led up to that particular week that God would give open doors and open opportunities in those church services that the night that a lady was going to take her own life had written her a note, asked her family to forgive her, and had left her house to go take care of, of that deed that the Lord provided a detour at the last moment and she walked in and she was gloriously saved and the Lord used that then in the crusade to actually reach out and touch another lady who was also struggling. And there may be somebody in the house today, you are here for the first time, or maybe you feel like you're here for the last time because you were overwhelmed by hurt, by pain, by shame, by guilt. Let me tell you today that Jesus opens his arms up wide to you because he loves you and you are welcome here in Jesus' name. So you can be praying for the distribution, you can be praying for the evening services, and please, as you saw on the screen, uh, the Crusades are very, very large, even in the small places. Like, we're going to go to a town that's about the same size as Don Lee, and still there were, there were thousands of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Many of them love the Lord. They're coming because they're excited about what God wants to do in their community, and they're hungry for revival, and they just want to unite in prayer with all their fellow believers, and that's good. But you have to know there are so many other people who come, and they're hungry, and they're hurting, and they need to hear that Jesus loves them, that he stretched out his arms on a cross for them, and that he's been raised in glory and power for them. And so we ask that you pray for those three things. Be praying for the compassion work. 
be praying for the divine appointments in the services at night. And please, please, please be praying for the Friday and Saturday night crusades. Before we leave, we need to ask you to continue to be praying for our logistics and our finances. There's still some of that that needs to be finished out. We know the Lord is faithful. And speaking of that, uh, we are going to put on sale today our book again. Many of you have bought it and said so many nice things about it. But everything that is purchased today is going directly into Nicaragua. So if that is something that you're interested in doing, you can see um, Steve or my wife, Elisa, afterwards. Okay, would you stand with me? We want to ask the Lord just to continue moving in this place. You know, when we were, when we were just singing, like the choir was, was singing the song, and they kept saying the word hallelujah. And I know that is an eternal word, that, you know, that we're not the only ones today who are crying out hallelujah. We're not the only ones today who are lifting our voice and lifting up the chant and the shout hallelujah. That all around the world today, there are people in Swahili, in Spanish, and many other languages that are lifting up the word hallelujah. But I know it's not just an earthly word today. I know that down here on earth is not the only place that the word hallelujah is being raised. We are actually uniting in worship, in praise, in prayer, in declaration. We are uniting with that which is taking place in heaven, which is taking place around the throne. Those voices are saying hallelujah. And this morning we stand in witness with them. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we have gathered together as one people in this house. And Lord, we come and we humble ourselves before you underneath the mighty hand of God. And we thank you that today is a day of appointment. Today is a day of anointing. Today is a day of destiny. We know it's not an accident that, Lord, in this place, we have gathered before your throne to hear your word. And so, Lord, we ask as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that Holy Spirit, you would come as the anointer, you would come as the anointing, and you would raise all of our eyes to heaven and cast our eyes upon him who was dead but is now alive, whose name is Jesus the Christ. And we give you the praise forever and ever. And all God's people said, you may be seated. I have a, a lot of ground to cover this morning. So I'm going to just fly, all right? And we'll just get through what we can. We want to start in the book of Haggai. <coughs> Haggai chapter 1, verse 13. This verse is going to be the core for what we're going to be talking about in all of the book of Haggai, into the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and several other verses as well. Zechariah. But this is where we're going to be camped, right here. Verse 13 is the center of it. Then Haggai. The Lord's messenger spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Why would that be such a, an important declaration from the prophet Haggai? Why was it so important for him to tell God's people, to tell Zerubbabel that I am with you? Well, let's start by pulling back and getting a little bit of context and some background. The people had just come back after 70 years of captivity. They had had a, a very difficult time, I'm sure, for 70 years away from their homeland. And it was the prophet Daniel who realized, hey, wait a second, it's written after 70 years. We're going to be able to go back. There's going to be a remnant that's going to be able to go back and see the land to rebuild the temple. 
to rebuild the city. And so it is Zerubbabel with a remnant of people who leave Babylon, who leave for a very long journey. And all along, you've got to think that they're very hopeful. You've got to think that they're full of vision and anticipation. They're going to go back, after all, and they're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to rebuild a city. They're going to rebuild a godly nation. And so they arrive. And they begin to, they begin to do what it is that was in their heart, what would have been their hope. But there are problems. <laughs> Lots of problems. One of the problems exists outside the walls, outside the city. These are the enemies of the land. And they have absolutely no desire for them to see there being a rebuilt nation of Israel, of Judah. There's no desire inside of their heart for this to happen. They don't want to see the temple built. They don't want to see the walls built. They don't want to see the city come back to its former promise. There's no desire in their enemy's heart to see that happen. And so they began to become antagonistic. The first thing the enemies do is they come up to Zerubbabel and say, Zerubbabel, hey, let us help you build the temple. And Zerubbabel is very clear with them. He says, no, this assignment is for covenant people, for the people of Judah, the people of Benjamin. You will not build the temple with us. Well, this doesn't sit well with the enemies of the land. And so they begin to harass. They begin to torment. They begin to trouble the people any way that they can. And they're continually harassing them and continually assaulting them and criticizing them. But it gets worse than that. They do two things. The enemies begin to hire counselors. Counselors who would give false words and counselors who would sow confusion and try to turn the hearts of the people. But it gets worse than that. Finally, the enemies of the land, they write a letter. And it's a letter full of lies, scathing accusations, wild, um, wild stories of what's actually happening there. And they send it to the king of Persia. And just so you know, the king receives it and he reacts to it. And what the enemies were asking, they were saying, you've got to shut this down. Because if you don't shut it down, this great nation is going to rise up. It's going to be bad for you. It could be very bad for all of us. And so the king sends an edict. Stop the work. You know, there's a, an interesting thing. My parents and I were talking about this. You know, when, when there is an edict made among the Medes and the Persians, it's irrevocable. And they had one to go back and rebuild the temple. And yet here's another one saying, stop working on the temple. And it took another letter from, from, the, from Zerubbabel and the people sending it back to the king saying, King, we have permission to do this. Please search, the, search all the places that you keep those scrolls. You'll find it. And they find it. Give them permission to build. But what's happening at this time is there's this enormous opposition taking place outside the walls. And you have to know that this must have been very stressful for Zerubbabel. It must have been very difficult. And I want to I say this to you. Outside problems are often very painful because they have the tendency to become personal. And in becoming personal, they become very counterproductive. This is what's taking place outside the city. But it wasn't just outside the city that there were problems for Zerubbabel and the people. 
There was also a, a struggle going on the inside, inside the walls. The people were oblivious to all the criticism and all the challenges and all the complaints. They were very much aware of the struggles. And inside the city, they begin to struggle and they begin to lose sight of the reason why they had come back to, to build this temple, to rebuild their city. And it's the verses before the one that we just read that you hear Haggai addressing these struggles. And this is what he says. Consider your ways. This is what he says. Consider your ways. He's not speaking to the enemies. He's speaking to his own people. Consider your ways. And why would he say that? Well, he said it because of this. Instead of continuing working on the temple, in focusing on the temple and, and the rebuilding of the city, they had focused on their own homes. They had gotten to taking care of themselves. And they were building these nice panel houses and, and building a nice thing for themselves. And the Lord is like, hey, don't forget the reason you came back here. There's a purpose for you. This is the principle. They had been busy. But it didn't mean they were being productive. You could say it another way. The expenditure of energy was not a sign of them being effective. Consider your ways. And so here's Zerubbabel on the outside just being assaulted by harassment. On the inside, struggling with the, the tendencies and the vision and the focus of the people. This man is supposed to be a leader, but he's struggling to be that leader. Why? The pressure's on the outside, sure. The struggle's on the inside, sure. But also... A very deep personal problem inside his own heart that we're going to talk about here in a moment. You know, there's a reality here about leadership. There's nothing so frustrating than to know that you're called to be a leader, but you're not able to lead. Businessmen, pastors, leaders would understand this. Zerubbabel had returned, and yet he's having a difficult time leading to this discouraged man comes the word of the Lord in verse 13. I am with you, Zerubbabel. It's a good word because it's probable that Zerubbabel was feeling alone. Do you know that leaders, pastors, business people many times feel alone? Huge vision, absolutely. Challenges, sure. Feeling alone, you bet. Most people in leadership can understand this. They can understand with the, the sense of feeling isolated and feeling alone. But it's to this man that God sends this word of strength, this word of hope. That though the people had lost their focus, though the enemies were crouching in on every side, here comes the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, despite it all, I am with you. Now you need to know that the promise was not unique to Zerubbabel. It had been given to others before him. It would be given to others after him. And this morning, it's been given to you, Bethesda. I am with you, says the Lord God of hosts. You see this with Gideon. You know, when you, when you, read, when you read the story about Gideon, you see that, you know, he's, what he's doing is he's doing it in secret because he's afraid of the Midianites. He's, if I can just get a little bit for my family. And he's afraid of the Midianites. And the Lord appears to him and says, you are a mighty man of valor. 
the Lord is with you. This man may not have felt like a mighty man of valor, but he could not refuse the word of the Lord that he was with him. The Lord had told Gideon, I am with you to deliver Israel, Israel, the nation, from the Midianites. You see this with Mary. Mary has this angelic visitation, and this is what the word is to her, to this most precious and special of women. This is what the Lord's message to her is. I am with you. And the message for her was, you're going to deliver the Messiah into the world. And then it was also there for the There's so many examples. But it was there for the disciples. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's about to ascend into glory. And what does he tell the disciples right before he ascends? He says, I'm entrusting you with the Great Commission. You're going to take this mission and this message, and you're going to spread it around the world. And this is what he tells them. I am with you. I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And it's the true here with Zerubbabel. Friends, hear this for your own life. Whatever it means to you today, whatever you're facing today, hear the Lord, hear the word from the Lord, just like it is with Zerubbabel, just like it is with Gideon, just like it is with Mary, just like it is with the disciples. Whatever you're facing, whatever your challenge is today, whatever your mountain is today, here is the word of the Lord. I am with you. So that's the first thing. I am with you. No matter what the mountain is in front of you, I am with you. No matter what the opposition on the outside is, I am with you. No matter what the struggle is inside, I am with you. No matter what you're facing, even in your heart, which we're about to talk about, I am with you. He's been with us from the beginning. He's with us now. He will always be with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He loves us. He is with us. This is the second thing. Your past does not define you. You may say, Stephen, you don't know my story. You may say, Stephen, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. But I don't need to. I want you to look at the life of Zerubbabel, and I want you to see this. Because like Zerubbabel, your past must not be allowed to define you. It cannot be allowed to hinder you because your past does not have to define you. It doesn't. Zerubbabel, this man who's battling things on the outside, facing struggles on the inside, probably had the biggest battle internally. Hear his story. This man comes from a lineage of kings, the royal family, the place that you would probably want to be born in, where you would have every privilege, every luxury, so much wealth and power. He's born as a direct descendant of the king. He had an impeccable degree. But there was a huge problem for Zerubbabel. His grandfather was the king of Judah, and he violated God, and he rejected the voice of the prophet. 
And he rebelled against the king of Babylon. Not a good combination. But he had done those things. And as a result, Jeremiah stands up and pronounces a curse on this grandfather. And I think we have the scripture. I want us to read the curse up on the screen. Jeremiah 22, verse 24 through 30. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I will abandon you, Jehoiachin. This is the grandfather, king of Judah. Even if you were the signet ring on my right hand, I would pull it off. I will hand you over to those who seek to kill you, those you so desperately fear, to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and the mighty Babylonian army. It gets worse. I will expel you, you and your mother from this land. You will die in a foreign country, not in your native land. And you will never again, ever again, return to the land you yearn for. Why is this man, Jehoiachin, like a discarded, broken jar? Why are he and his children to be exiled to a foreign land? Oh, earth, 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 listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Let the record show that this man was childless. He is a failure, and none of his children will succeed him on the throne of David to rule Judah. How would you like to receive that? Now, some versions, they say Coniah. Some say Jeconiah. Some say Jehoiachin. You just need to know it's the same man. But this was the curse, among many other things. From now on, you're going to be childless. And the children that you do have, they are going to be removed from the kingship. It was a brutal denouncement upon him. But it wasn't just upon him. It was upon his family. And it wasn't just upon his family. It was upon all the people because the people with him were being marched out to Babylon into captivity with no hope, no future. It was over. Thank the Lord that's not where the story ends. That's not where the story ends. Jeremiah offers a word for the people. It's a word of hope. It's a word of comfort. And basically what he says is, listen, 70 years have to go by. But after those 70 years go by, I'm going to visit you. And I'm going to perform my good word towards you. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. And then he says one of the most famous scriptures from the Old Testament. Because I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is what he's saying. Listen, I've got plans for you still. You are not orphans. You are not abandoned. And so there is this word of hope, this promise by extension to them. And it is Zerubbabel who is part of this story. He's part of that generation that has been regenerated for the purposes of God. And after the 70 years go by, here goes the grandson of the king marching back 
towards the land. Now think about that for a second. Don't you think that along the way, there was an enemy's voice bombarding his heart and bombarding his ears with things like this? Your family has been rejected. You will not succeed. You are under a curse. Do you think he may have even heard that during the time they were in captivity? Zerubbabel, if it wasn't for your grandfather, we wouldn't even be here today. But because of you and your family, this royal kingdom, we're not even in our land. We're here. Can you just imagine what was inside of him? How many times someone, whether it was deliberate and direct, or whether it was offhand and humorous, Somebody had said something to him about his grandfather, about the pain that they were living in, about the frustration that they were experiencing, and it was all his fault. Now he's heading back to build the temple, and he's heading back to build a city. He's heading back to rebuild a godly nation, and there have got to be these thoughts just fresh into his heart and his mind. You are under a curse. You are under a curse. You are under a curse. You will not succeed. You will fail. You have been rejected. Why even go? This is what redemption is all about. Your past does not have to define you anymore. Here God is taking a broken vessel. Yes, there's harassment on the outside. Absolutely, there are struggles in trying to keep the people's vision on point, on the inside. And certainly inside of his heart are all these questions. This was the word of God to my grandfather and to my family. And I have this curse. And he's got all these things inside of him. And yet here's God taking a broken vessel and molding him into a vessel of honor. Broken vessel to a vessel of honor. How do we know that? How do we know it's the Lord's intention that Zerubbabel would come from a place of brokenness into a place of honor? Thank you for asking that. I want you to see the power terms. I want you to see the power terms used by the Lord to this man. I think we have this verse as well. This is in Haggai. This is the next chapter that we had started with, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 23. Is it there? Great. How do we know this is the Lord's intention to make Zerubbabel a vessel of honor? Look at the power terms. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetiel, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Look what the Lord says. Zerubbabel, I will take you. I will make you. Because I have chosen you. And just like that, the accusations of the enemy, the criticism of his enemies, gone, broken by the power of the Lord. This is my man. <laughs> This morning, 
There may be many voices coming from the enemy's camp for you. Some of them may remind you of your past. Some of them may be about the things you're facing in your present or the dreams that you have for the future. But let me tell you, there is a voice that silences all other voices. It comes from the throne room of God. And when the Holy Spirit says something, you can take confidence in this. Everything else falls to the wayside. I love the fact that he talks about the signet ring. Remember what he told his grandfather? I'm taken. The signet ring off your finger. You're no longer a royal family. That's what he told me. And here's the Lord saying to Zerubbabel, let's look at that scripture again. I will make you like a signet ring. Oh, you gotta, you've got to catch this. It's not an accident that these are the same words. The signet ring of authority had been taken off the ring, had taken off the finger of his grandfather. But the Lord says this to him. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you the ring back. Instead, he says, I'm going to make you like the ring. And hear what he says. It meant he wasn't receiving the appointment because of his sonship or because of his lineage or because of his genealogy or because of the house that he had been born in. He was receiving the anointing because the Lord had personally chosen him. This is what the Lord has done for us. He has chosen you. He has redeemed you. He has established you. He has appointed you because he loves you. We have been appointed to be his own. He is with us. Our past does not define us. Wow. Hear the prophetic word heralded to Zerubbabel, Bethesda. It's yours. I will take you. I will make you because I have chosen you. Hear it. I will take you because I love you. I'm going to make you because you have a future. You have a hope. You have a purpose because I have chosen you. You belong to him. Your past no longer defines you. I need to hurry. So let me just end with this. Some of you may be saying, how is all of that possible? I can believe that maybe God is with us, but we need to be reminded of that today. No matter what the voices are on the outside, no matter what the struggles are on in the inside, you need to know that God is with you. No matter how big that mountain is, no matter how big the responsibility is, no matter how big the challenge is or the dream is, Jesus is with you today, Bethesda. You may be here today and you may be okay, but I'm under a generational curse. And certainly when we're in Nicaragua, we'll see a lot of that. I'm under a curse. I have been condemned. Everything about my life has been difficult. It's been tainted. It's been polluted. Hear the word of the Lord, Bethesda. Your past does not have to define you. 
And you may be saying, Stephen, how can you so boldly say all of that this morning? Well, it all comes back to Zerubbabel. I, right out of the book of um, Zechariah. And this is what Zechariah declared. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And tells Zerubbabel, this mountain will be made like a plain. Mountain, Zerubbabel, has been made like a plain. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I want to ask you to stand. And I want to invite the worship team to come. I want to invite Pastor Dan to come. The Lord is with you, Bethesda. Which means you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. He is with you. Your past does not define you. And nothing is impossible with God. Because it's not by might, not by power. It's by His Spirit, says the Lord.